Let's listen to God's word, Luke 9 and 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and into the countryside to find lodging and get provision, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food all for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did. And so had all of them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Verse 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Where do the, who, do, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others the one who the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rose again. And he said to all, if anyone would come unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me or my words or of him, or of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory, and that glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come. Now about eight days later, after these sayings, he took him with Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, an appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men who were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, is it good that we are here? Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for, for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying, as he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered to the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and took, told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they were, had come down from the mountain, a great cloud met them. And behold, a man from the cloud cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. 
and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and he healed the boy, and he gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. We lift you up, O King Jesus, today. If there's nothing else that will be communicated, it's that you are God. You are all-powerful, and we lift you up today. We're also, Lord, being reminded of how you are still working in our lives. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking a little bit about the marvelous works of Jesus. And I want to tell you a story. It's a story that begins with my great-great-grandmother. She started off praying, a godly woman, for her uh, children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren. So that would leave it to, that would be where I would be right now, because my great-great-grandmother raised my grandmother. Yep, that's right. So my grandmother, who I've talked about before, her name was Neely Mae Daly. She would be up many times when we were sleeping. You could hear her praying. She prayed out loud. And it wasn't a haughty thing. She just didn't know any better. That's the way that she, you know, she, would, she would pray. And so I would hear her praying. And she would pray that uh, her grandkids, uh, her son, would come to know the Lord. And he did. And I've told that story before. And then uh, her grandkids would come to know the Lord. And her great-grandkids... So just a constant prayer uh, all the time about that. Well, my youngest brother, he was uh, he, very academic and probably 15, 20 years ago decided he wanted to be an atheist, right? Well, you can imagine my grandmother. That turned the prayers up, right? I mean, it really turned the prayers up. He was uh, at, a, at a university in Augusta. And he met a girl. They went to a trip to Europe, to Holland, and it was very romantic. And so he met a girl, and they moved in with each other. And um, long story short, they are not married, but they're with child. So he calls me, he says, Jeremy, she had always told me, the doctor said that wasn't possible. I said, well, okay. He said, but I got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, she's moving back up to her mother in Minnesota because she wants to be up there. He said, now, Jeremy, we're Georgians. He said, I don't want to move to Minnesota. I said, well, I'm sorry, brother, but guess where you're going to be? You're going to be in Minnesota. And the reason why is because you want in 18 years from now that little girl to be able to say my daddy was present with me and he was there for me. So he moves to Minnesota, 20 miles south of the Canadian border. Yes, last night it was about negative 45 um, and yeah, yeah, I get it regularly. He tells me about it, but that's been probably 13 years ago. He gets up there and things go south between him and the, and the, um, the girlfriend and he's ostracized. He's in a bad, bad place, but he realizes that the only way that he could see his daughter, if he goes to the church that his daughter is attending, she's a little thing going to church. So guess what? He goes every Sunday morning, Sunday, uh, Sunday night, and, and uh, Wednesday night to church because he wants to see his daughter that is there. They can't stop him from coming. There's no restraining order. 
Um, and so as he does, he begins to build a relationship and begin to volunteer uh, with the pastor. He's playing golf with the pastor for the one month, I guess, they can play golf in Minnesota, right? Um, and so uh, he plays golf, and, and, and he calls me, and he says, Jeremy, I, I'm, I'm back in church, and, I, and, and I'm, I, I've changed his whole perspective. I could tell you this perspective he had before, which was totally opposite to where I could see everything just changing, uh, the way he talked, the way he acted, his outlook, and everything. And uh, that pastor did what a great pastor or any of us would have done in that situation. He, made him, he revealed himself to him, and Ryan found great hope in Christ. And so now he's up there. He's gotten great, uh, although he and his girlfriend are not together. Uh, he's had great uh, relationship with his daughter now, has custody of her 50%, and he, um, he is living for the Lord. And it's incredible to see the marvelous works of Jesus. So when you think about it, Jesus and his followers had almost no political power or influence. The ruling elite of the world had no interest or even knowledge of him. Think about what hope they would have had if they would have had a chance to see the kingdom of Jesus change the world. One might have... One might have uh, One reason might have been that the marvelous works that Jesus did, they represented a power far above that of the world, a power over sickness, a power over all evil, all demons, all diseases, and this would have given them hope. For what about the people who only read about Jesus' marvelous works? People can read about the power of Jesus in the past and see these things that are marvelous, but what does that have to do with us today? Today, the marvelous works of Jesus. Is there power available today for provision? Is there power uh, available today for justice, for healing, for restoration, for deliverance? That's what the first readers of the book of Luke might have asked, and that's what we might ask as well. What about today? What about my needs? What about the problems that are going on with me or those around me? That's what this passage in Luke is all about, Jesus working incredible miracles. They would experience his power not only on the day of the miracles, but also in the future. And it gives us hope that the power of Jesus is present now and will continue to be present in the future to heal us and to deliver us and to save us. And it's available to us by talking to the Lord. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus had just sent the disciples out to preach and teach, and he was preparing them for a future role. When they returned, they all told Jesus what they had done. They were going to pull away a little bit to be able to talk about it. There's one thing that Jesus did regularly, and and I think it's a good thing for us to always remember. What did he do? He did a lot of ministry, right? But he did a lot of arresting, and he did a lot of time praying. And so he pulled away with the disciples because he wanted to be able to do that. They went to a quiet town that, uh, called Bethsaida. And the plan was quickly short, short-circuited. Why? Because they had throngs of people following Jesus. He welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So instead of being a distraction, Never think you're a distraction with the Lord. Never think that. He ministered. And even though Jesus had other things on his mind, he gave, faces, he gave a face of welcome to the people that God had brought his way. 
Luke points out that Jesus often had an agenda of rest and retreat, but the Father had an agenda of outreach. Jesus trusted the Father's leading and was willing to trust that the Father would provide him what was needed for him to do the work. Then the 12 disciples got nervous. They realized it was getting late. They were in a remote area. We know the story. People are hungry. The Bible says there were 5,000 men. They counted the men, but they didn't count the women and children. Think about that. That's just a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So they say, Jesus, we need something to eat. And uh, Jesus says, well, um, okay, figure it out. Why would Jesus say this? Sometimes Jesus does not immediately relieve our crisis when we go to him. Instead, he sometimes aggravates them. Why? Because he wants us to look at our real resource in him. So the disciples responded just as you know they did. We got five loaves of bread and we've got two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, which would take them a while. They were really unsure what to do. I would be too, honestly. You know, I don't know what to do here. They're, they're hungry, and we, we, they're here. What do we do? Jesus told them to have them sit in groups of about 50, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. The food just kept coming and coming and coming. The text tells us that everyone was ate and was satisfied. It was an astonishing thing. Jesus again showed us his wonderful power and did another of his marvelous works. This time he simply created something out of nothing to provide for the people. The first time I've ever seen something that was really incredible was I was probably, oh, I don't know, probably seven or eight years old. My mom... um, Uh, I'll never forget it. She worked at Regency Mall. That was the the first mall that we had in Augusta. After the second mall came, the first mall was sort of went downhill. But the first mall was Regency Mall. She worked at a place called Things Remembered. They engraved stuff. Um, And back in 1980-whatever, two, the checks came for your work that came to the the place of business. So every Monday, we'd go around 2 or 3, because that's what time we would think it would be if we weren't in school. It's during the summer. We'd pile up in my mom's pinto hatchback. We had all the windows down. She had her, uh, she had her eight-track playing Kenny Rogers because she loved Kenny Rogers. And I remember us going down the road. It was a hot July day. If it was Augusta, Julys are always 110 with 175 percent humidity, right? Well, here's what we were doing. We're going to pick up her check because we didn't have any food at the house. That's a whole other thing. Her gas tank was almost out, and we were hungry and we were hot. Um, so we get to the mall, we go inside and of course what happens every blue moon, sorry, the mail ran, but the checks weren't in there for whatever reason it got off. She gets back in the car. We really don't know what to do. The truth is we don't have enough gas to get back home because we were going to, she was going to go to the bank in the mall, cast the check, a lot of, you know, we'll be able to do this. And I'll never forget her asking. And even at that time she was not living for the Lord, but she asked the Lord to help us. Now, if you're at the men's meeting, uh, men's breakfast, I told this story the other morning. But when she asked the Lord to help us, we were on the backside of the mall, uh, headed back out to the road, and in front of us was a $20 bill that started flapping this way. And my mom stopped. She gets the $20 bill, which in 1982 now will go a lot farther than a $20 bill today. 
So she's able to put gas in the car, she's able to get us lunch, and we're able to get us home, otherwise it would not have happened. No cell phones, you know, there's no way to communicate to anybody. And I remember that, I remember her calling out to the Lord, and the Lord helping in a very creative and and miraculous way. How often do we look at what we have and forget that Jesus can provide for us by making something out of nothing? Peter, James, and John went on to the mountain. Why? To pray. And as they were praying from Luke 9, uh, 28 through 36, something marvelous happened. The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning from Luke 9, 29. All of a sudden, the veil was pulled back, and the future was revealed. Jesus in power and glory, shining like a flash of lightning. Moses and Elijah appeared and spoke to him. Jesus had come to fulfill the law of the prophets. He was the promised Messiah. And what did they talk about? Jesus' exodus. Our text says his departure, which is a proper translation, but the Greek word is exodus. What Jesus was going to do was to lead a new exodus out of the kingdom of the tyrant Satan with his bondage to sin and death and into the glorious resurrection, life of the kingdom of God. That's what they were talking about. Peter and his companions woke up and Peter said, let's build three tents, lest we look for something, some great spiritual meaning in this. Luke adds with a bit of humor, he didn't know what he was saying. Then a cloud appeared, the Shekinah glory, the cloud that appeared again and again in the Old Testament, and a voice came from it. This is my son who I've chosen, listen to him. This was the testimony for Jesus and for the disciples that this was indeed God's promise to Messiah, the true son of God. Listen to him. Listen, we have everything we need. Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. I've got one more story I want to share with you, and Maria will will remember, remember this. We were just married, and she began to have terrible headaches. She's probably allergic to me and allergic to marriage. Uh, The year was 1999, the year was 2000. We were attending First Presbyterian Church, Augusta, Georgia. Now let me tell you before I say, before I even go any further with that. First Presbyterian Church was um, high church, liturgical church. The pastor climbed up in a pulpit to preach Uh, The building uh, was used during the Civil War to help with war victims. You step inside and you would not even know unless you saw a microphone that you were now in the 20, at that time, the the 21st century. Um, So high, holy, no drum set. Oh boy, you don't do that. You know, there's hymnals and just, I mean, everything. The the pastor wore a a long black uh, robe. One Sunday, I'll never forget it. Uh, because, you know, pretty much things are planned out, right? The pastor, when he began, when he, when he was done, he would go, he'd do a recessional, he'd grab his wife, they'd go down the center aisle and they would meet and greet people, those who would go down the center aisle. Uh, and there would be elders on the other two. Well, uh, that morning, he blew everybody away because he said, um, you know, this morning I'm not going to go out to the back of the church. He said, I'm going to go sit in my office and I feel like I need to pray for people who need prayer. Now you could have heard a pin drop at First Presbyterian Church, Augusta, Georgia, because they're like, what in the world is going on? So quietly the recessional played, 
Everybody looked around, and Maria looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, I would really need prayer. These headaches are really, really bad. And so I said, well, sure. Well, there was a line. He was just sitting in his office. I'm not tr- telling you anything that is weird, hokey-pokey or something that he had gone off the deep end. He was sitting in his chair. Those who wanted prayer would just sit in the chairs in front of him. There was a line, and, um, and he prayed for Maria from his desk. And she never had another headache after that. The Lord is available, of course, with those kind of headaches. Now she's had other headaches when she gets frustrated with me or whatever. And, um, you know, uh, but the Lord is available to help you. The Lord is available to minister to you. The Lord is available to um, create something out of nothing. Let's be very clear about this. The marvelous works of Jesus are not just works of the past, but they're available in the present. They're available to all who will trust in the power of Jesus to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That is the hope for now and for the future. Amen.